Are you a follower of Jesus Christ who's done being quiet? Are you ready to tell the world whose you are, totally, fearlessly, and unapologetically? And are you ready to smash that imaginary wall that supposedly divides your career and faith life? Welcome to the C-Suite for Christ podcast, where we talk about living as a disciple of Christ in the world of work. Before we get to the content we have in store for you today, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Are you a Christian-based organization? Well, so are we, and we're here to serve you. We want to help you with your mission, so please visit ParagonMarketingGroup.com to see how we can help. Well, hey there, everybody. Paul M. Newberger, the founder of C-Suite for Christ, coming at you here. What a blessing it is to have you join us today for this episode of the C-Suite for Christ podcast. And boy, that word, I tell you, that blessing word can get you in trouble in secular society. But you know what? Ask me if I give a rip. I don't. I am done apologizing for whose I am. I am done worrying about political correctness. I am done worrying about cancel culture. How about you? Well, if you are, you came to the right place. And one thing that I will tell you about the C-Suite for Christ podcast is we believe firmly at this ministry in the Great Commission. Notice it's not the great suggestion. Notice it's not the great recommendation. It's all about the Great Commission. Are you bringing other people to Christ? If not, you, me, the rest of our brothers and sisters in Christ are going to be held to account to that in some way, shape, or form. I don't say that to scare you. I just do say that to say that is reality. When God tells you to do something, you best do it. Just easier to err on the side of safety and uh, making sure that we got our bases covered. Well, you know, maybe you're not the most bombastic person. Maybe you're not the most comfortable person talking about Christ with total strangers. That's why the C-Suite for Christ podcast exists, because here it's all about making your job a little bit easier. It's all about allowing you to fulfill the greater commission a little bit more readily than you otherwise would. So what does that mean? Basically, that just means share the podcast, talk about it on social media, share it via email, let a couple of people know that, hey, you're listening to this uh, cool episode, this cool show, they should listen to it. And even if you just put this in front of two or three people, you are doing your part to fulfill the Great Commission, and what a blessing that would be. So let's uh, let's get after it here today. We we'll certainly want to be a good steward of your time. And one of the things that I want to talk about today is one of those areas that sometimes makes men in particular a little squirmish. You're not really supposed to talk about this, but boy, howdy, I'm going in anyway. And that word is this, love. Aw. I mean, see, this how yesterday was Thanksgiving and everything else like that. I mean, we are talking about families. We are talking about holidays. We are talking about spending time with one another. We are talking about really good food. So I'm, I'm assuming the word love does come up once in a while. And let me just ask you this question. Again, this isn't just for the guys. I'm not trying to be sexist or anything else like that. C-Suite for Christ as a ministry is open to both men and women. So this is a show that is open to all genders in that regard. But buddy, but here's just what I, I really want you to start thinking about. Again, what do you love? Or maybe even more specifically, who do you love? 
Let's just spend a little bit of time unpacking this love concept a little bit. Now, again, speaking only for myself, there are three things that initially come to mind with respect to what slash who do I love? Let's start with this one. The number one human being that I love more than anything else is my wife, Tanya. And she's a big fan of the podcast. So, babe, I hope you're listening. This will get me out of the doghouse later on when I put my foot in my mouth and do something that I'm not supposed to do. But but my wife is my best friend. And I'm not just saying that because, oh, you know, you're supposed to say that about your spouse. I'm not. My wife has been for the 10 years or so that we've been married. She is my best friend. I love her more than any other person. I cannot imagine my life without her. She is the yin to my yang. She's a stay-at-home mom taking care of our three kids, which is a job way tougher than what I'm doing right now as the founder of this international ministry, C-Suite for Christ. But that'd be my first answer. I love my wife, Tanya, my spouse and my best friend. Who else do I love? I would say a close second, but still second nonetheless, are my children. My three babies, my son, Kennedy, who's 10, my son, Hudson, who's eight, and my baby girl, Regan, who is five. I love my children. And again, you know, with the exception being my wife, if somebody were to say, hey, you could spend your time with any person, who would it be? My three kids would be right at the top of the list. I love hanging out with these knuckleheads, with the boys. Gosh, they're they're football obsessed which makes me proud because I'm a, I'm a football enthusiast myself. But with the boys, playing football, wrestling, watching movies, doing guy stuff like burping and farting and all that other kind of fun stuff, it's awesome to do that with my boys, with my baby girl. Now, again, I don't love any of my kids more or less, but the relationship with each one is different, not better, not worse, just different. I finally got my daughter, and the relationship with her is just different. You know, she makes me laugh more. I mean, she's five years old, but she's like a stand-up comic. She makes me laugh more than just about anybody else I know. And the things that we do are just different. It's not as rough. It's not as gruff. We're not tossing each other all over the place, but it's still fun nonetheless. So I certainly love my children. Now, for the third example, again, there's more people that I love for sure. But but rather than focusing on the who do you love, why don't we just kind of look briefly in the what category? And one of the things that I love more than just about anything else around is my country, the United States of America. I love this country. Is our country perfect? No. Does our country have a perfect slate when it comes to what we've done in the past of course not but i am not a i'm not going to apologize for this country i think it's the greatest country in the world it's the greatest beacon of hope it's the greatest economic engine in the planet i love the united states of america and there's a variety of ways that i show that love we fly flags on a regular basis we we do things to support the country to support people be it cops or first responders or military personnel that support our country and guarantee our freedom. We vote in every election, even for local dog catcher, it seems. Those are ways that we support the country that we love. So again, in a nutshell, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my country. Who or what do you love? 
Now, maybe we just take it one step further. Now, now, now this one is done sort of tongue in cheek, I guess. But, you know, the, the word love does get tossed around quite a lot in society today. And it, it just, you know, it, it's like I'm, I'm trying to create awareness of this for you because it's almost like and I think I've used this example before, but it's almost like you need a new car. You go to the car dealership, you buy a yellow car. You're thinking, sweet. I'm going to stand out from all of humanity. There's very few people that have yellow cars. Well, what's on your mind now? Yellow car, yellow car, yellow car, yellow car. You go on the freeway. All of a sudden you look around. Crap, I see yellow cars everywhere. It's because it's front of mind and you're noticing it. And I'm hoping that this conversation that I'm about to embark on is also going to do the same for you, that it makes this front of mind and it makes it something that you're going to notice on a fairly regular basis. But think about how many times you use the word love and associate it with things that might not be the same as a spouse or a child or your beloved country. I've got three more here uh, that I, I would like to share. I definitely like these things, and I have said the word love when it comes to each of them. Well, let's start with this one. I love the Green Bay Packers. And boy, howdy, are they breaking my heart. Man, oh, man. I mean, we're going to have to have a separate podcast just on the green and gold, but I, you know, bringing Aaron Rodgers back was a mistake. You're going to pay again, the, not taking anything away. The guy's a four time MVP coming off two consecutive years. The guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but you're going to pay a guy in his late 30s 50 million bucks a year to be pedestrian. Stupid. Anyway, I digress. If you're a Packer fan, shoot me an email and maybe we can just kind of have that little Packers support group or something. But I love the Green Bay Packers, and I say that a lot. I love watching them. I love supporting them. I love thinking about their history. I grew up with Brett Favre. I grew up, um, you know, with Antonio Freeman, Reggie White, you know, just just Leroy Butler. I mean, that was my time growing up. I make time to watch them on a regular basis. I read about them on a regular basis. I like to talk about them, acting like I'm the general manager, like I know better than, you know, uh, Gut Koontz does. And anyway, I love the Green Bay Packers, and I say that a lot. I love peanut butter. Boy, <laughs> I tell you, I'm an easy guy to buy for when it comes to, like, Christmases and birthdays, both, both of which are coming up, by the way. Hint, hint, if you wanted to get me a, a gift this holiday season, my kids will just buy me reams of peanut butter. It, you know, not, not like just like the little Peter Pan or the little Skippy jars that, you know, one shot of it, you're done. I mean, like the Armageddon zombie apocalypse, you're going to have peanut butter for 15 years, jug size. Like, like I'm thinking, like, a 100-gallon oil drum of peanut butter. I love peanut butter. I also love public speaking. I, I wear a lot of hats in addition to running this ministry. And one of them is I'm an international keynote speaker. I travel all over the world and what a blessing that is. But again, those are things that I really enjoy. Those are things that I would say I love. They're on a different plane compared to my wife, my kids, and my country. But I often say I love the Packers. I love me some delicious peanut butter, creamy, not chunky. That chunky stuff. Whoever invented that, just throw that garbage away. But then also public speaking. Those are things that I love. Again, coming back to you, what do you love? Now I got a follow-up question for you. How do you define love? I'm just I'm just not a fan when it comes to subjectivity 
with anything in life. I mean, I, again, I, I have subjective opinions. I have thoughts. I do use adjectives to describe things from time to time. I'm, I'm not above doing that. But I'm just a big fan of objective, quantifiable definitions and metrics. That's why it boggles my mind that you've got so many people in society today that cannot define what a woman is. Are you kidding me? Well, I think a woman is this, or I think a what? Give me a break. I mean, the, the most recent justice on the U.S. Supreme Court, Katanji Brown Jackson, couldn't define what a woman is in her confirmation hearing. And my first thought was she's disqualified from serving on the bench. If she can't define what a woman is, how is she going to define what it says in the U.S. Constitution. Everything for her is open to interpretation. There's a lot of people that just subjectively interpret everything, and that's why our country is going to heck in a handbasket right now. We need quantifiable definitions. We need objective reality. How do you define love? You talk about the love of your spouse. How do you define that? You talk about the love of your kids. How do you define that? You talk about the love of skippy, creamy, yummy, delicious peanut butter. How do you define that love? And if you can't define love, not only could that be problematic, I guess a follow-up is, then how do you know when you really love something? If you can't define what love is, how do you know if you're really loving something. And if you say, I love my wife about as often as you say, I love the Green Bay Packers, is that the same kind of love or is that different love? Paul, you're splitting hairs. Who cares? It's very important. And especially as Christians, we are held to a higher standard, like it or not. And I think we should expect to be held to a higher standard. One thing that I just want to say before I, I, I kind of finish my definition when it comes to love one of the things that I hear on a fairly regular basis is people will say, you know what? If God really loved us, why does he allow people to go to hell? That's a fair enough question. But with all due respect and humility, that shows a very surface level of spiritual maturity. Because the thing you have to understand is as Christians, as humans, our default destination is hell. You go back to the Garden of Eden when you had original sin and you had Adam and Eve. And what did God say? God said, do not eat from that tree of knowledge. Do not do it. You can eat anywhere else. You can do whatever else you want. Do not eat that forbidden fruit. What did they do? They screwed it all up. They ate the fruit. Ever since that original sin, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, our default destination became hell. We are destined for hell, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter what you achieve, no matter what you think, no matter how nice you are, we are all destined for hell. And in order to set things right again, God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die an absolutely horrific death on the cross, to take on the sins of the world, to shed his blood, to wash us clean, basically to hit the reset button. And as long as we are connected with Jesus, believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, and do all the things that are commanded of us, we now have the ability to earn, not earn, that's the wrong word. We now have the ability to spend eternity in heaven when we otherwise wouldn't have because God loves us. I can't fathom that level of love. 
But this is why it's important. This is why it's important we talk about it. This is why it's important that we define it. But as Christians, because we have the ability to spend eternity in heaven, which is, again, one heck of a lottery win for us, the expectation for us is higher. We have to live life a certain way. We have to conduct ourselves in a certain way. We have to follow rules in a certain way. We have to crucify the flesh in a certain way. We are in this world, but we cannot be of this world. So my point is, if we have the ability to spend eternity in heaven, if we have the ability to take advantage of that unbelievably awesome gift, we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard. It's going to be hard to hold yourself to a higher standard if you don't know what love is, if you don't know what love means, if you can't define love, not based on the worldly standards, but based on the heavenly standards. Because, boy, you cannot look to this world for the definition on anything. I mean, what? what how does this world define love? I mean, boy, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, because it's everywhere, is the sexualization of society. Isn't it crazy? My kids are watching kids YouTube and you got these big busted teenagers with hot pants on that leaves nothing to the imagination. That's YouTube kids. Then you watch Netflix Then you watch some of these other shows. You listen to the, the musical lyrics that are out there today. You're just scrolling through Facebook and you see all these pictures. It's everywhere. There's a huge difference between love and lust. And if you cannot define that, boy, you are on the wrong road, Buster. People think they love something when they're actually just lusting over it. So when it comes to definitions, when it comes to objectivity, when it comes to quantifiable metrics, the one place you always have to go as a believer is Scripture. Scripture is the truth. Scripture is the firm foundation. Scripture is the instruction manual that comes to us from our Heavenly Father. If you're looking anywhere else for truth, for definitions, for guidance, for step-by-step -step instructions, your life is probably going to be going down the wrong path. I shouldn't even say probably. Your life is going down the wrong path. Don't go to Dr. Phil. I almost called him Uncle Phil. Don't, uh, Uncle Phil. And that, that Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Is that, was that Uncle Phil? <laughs> so don't go to Dr. Phil for guidance. Don't go to Dr. Oz for guidance. Don't go to Oprah for guidance. Don't go to LeBron James for guidance. The hell does he know outside of dribbling a basketball? You know, you what you need to do is go to Scripture. Good news is Scripture has the definition of just about everything, including love. Let's go here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through seven. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. That is your definition of love, my brothers and sisters. And again, this is probably a verse you're somewhat familiar with. Just go to any wedding and you probably hear this. Watch the Hallmark Channel. Well, last year or two that, that started to go fairly woke. But before that, you know, you, you, an ornament or something. Like you'll see this verse fairly often. You're probably familiar with it, but my question is, how often do you study it? How often do you dwell on it? How often do you live in it? 
And how often do you embody it when it comes to the people and the situations in life that you find yourself in? Now, I love this verse because it's very wonderful. It, it, it makes me feel good. Now, again, as a guy, you got to be, you know what? You got to get rid of that stigma. You know, it's like the ooey gooey, wonderful feelings going through me. But conversely, it also makes me want to barf. And the reason it makes me want to barf is because I get a knot in my stomach the size of a beach ball when I read this because it makes me realize, do I really love anything in this world? I say that I love my wife. The first word is love is patient. Well, I'm out. Now, some days are better than others, but I, I don't often have patience with my wife. Love is kind. I'm not always kind to my wife. I hate to say it, but I'm, you know, I'm human. Gosh, my wife isn't perfect either, but she is way more kind than me. I, I, I've taken out my bad days on her just because I needed, I needed someone to take it out on. Horrible. I know. Maybe this is a side of Paul M. Newberger you've never seen before, but I'm human. It does not envy. My gosh, I've been envious of a lot of people in my life. It does not boast. I've boasted about my accomplishments. It is not proud. I've, I've had an ego from time to time. Gosh, well, how about my kids? It is not easily angered. I'm out. I think I've yelled at my kids three times already today. Back to my wife. It keeps no records of wrongs. Gosh. I don't even think I make it to lunchtime before saying, remember when you said this yesterday? I mean, how can I say I love my wife when I, can, when I can't check any of these boxes? How can I say that I love my kids when I'm not patient with my kids a lot? When I'm easily angered when it comes to my kids? Those are, I mean, you go back to our country to some degree. It does not boast. I, I boast about America a lot. I think I just boasted about America in the opening. Well, can I say that I love the country when I'm boasting about it? It is not easily angered. I was ticked at the midterm elections and how they turned out. And, and I remember telling some people close to me, I'm, I'm, I'm losing faith in Americans. Well, how can I say that I love America when I'm easily angered by it? The Packers, don't even get me started. I think I was just talking a few minutes ago about how the, the, the Packers are upsetting me. Go back to what you had said earlier when I asked you that question, what do you love? And read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and tell me that whatever you answered to that question, that fill in the blank, you've been able to live this verse 100% of the time, without error, with whatever it was that you loved. And with all due respect, if you're telling me you did, you're a liar. This is why this verse makes me want to vomit. Do I really love anything? Can I really love anything? If this is the definition of love, the bar just seems too high. This just seems too unattainable. This just seems like it's not possible. How can I claim to love anything when after three words in, I've already realized, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out.
this definition is not set this way to make us feel bad, to not make us feel dejected, to not make us feel worthless. I think like anything else in life, the bar is set very, 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 very high because it forces us to live a certain way to achieve it. It forces us to be thinking about it every single day to achieve it. It forces us to be working at it every single day to achieve it. It forces us to go outside of our comfort zone to achieve it. It forces us basically to have to work at it and to study if we're going to achieve it. You look at college or high school, or maybe an apprenticeship at the workplace. If you're going to achieve success, people don't go into college just knowing microbiology. People don't go into high school automatically knowing trigonometry. People don't walk into the workplace automatically knowing how to be a proficient arc welder. You have to pay attention. You have to work at it. But more importantly, you have to study. You have to read the books. You have to go to class. You have to study the person who's modeling the behavior so you too can become a master at your craft. If it was really, really easy to love, anybody could do it. You wouldn't have to work at it. You wouldn't have to think about it. You wouldn't have to go outside of your comfort zone. You wouldn't have to dig very, very deep. And I think all of those things, although they make true love tough, it makes true love worthwhile. And back to the study concept, when it comes to studying love, when it comes to studying how to be patient, kind, not envy, not boast, not proud. You don't go to television. You don't go to Dr. Phil. You don't read a self-help book. You run to Christ. Because Jesus is love. Jesus doesn't have love necessarily. Jesus doesn't give love necessarily, although both of those are true. Jesus is love. Let's just take the word love, get it out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and substitute it with Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Because Jesus is love, we need to be very careful with the word love. I'm not saying don't say you love your spouse. Of course you love your spouse, hopefully. Continue to do it, but you need to ensure that you are modeling it. Are you patient with your spouse? Are you kind with your spouse? Do you refuse to envy your spouse? Do you refuse to boast around your spouse? Do you refuse to be proud around your spouse? Use the word love with your spouse, but make sure that you're rising to the definition. Use the word love with your kids, but make sure that you're rising to the definition. Use, word, use the word love when it comes to your country, 
but make sure that you rise to the definition. If you're going to use it, live it. I think it's a huge, blatant hypocrisy for someone to say they love their spouse, yet they cheat on them. I love my spouse, yet you're rude to them. I love my spouse, but you don't give them the best of you. I love my spouse, but you don't set aside time for them. That not only is that hypocrisy, to some degree, I'm going to say that's blasphemy. Because if Jesus is love, when you say love, you're emulating Jesus. You're invoking Jesus. I love my spouse, you're claiming, but you're not living it. To some degree, I'm going to say that's blasphemy. So if you're going to use the word, make sure that you are living it. But the other thing is, make sure you're only really using the word with things you love. Because as Christians, as I said, we're held to a higher standard. I've got to stop saying I love the Packers because love is a heavenly thing. Love is a spiritual thing. Love is a sacred thing. Love is Jesus. And I honestly have no business saying I love the Packers or peanut butter or public speaking because none of that rises to the level of true love. And if we're going to be Christians and they're going to know us based on our love for humanity, we cannot misuse the word love. I enjoy the Packers. I, I don't know why you keep using the word enjoy. How about this? I follow the Packers closely. I enjoy peanut butter. I can't think of anything better than public speaking. Those are all better ways of saying it rather than love because that's not love. And I think as Christians who pride ourselves on love, people are going to be saying, well, look at the, look, look at look at look at Tommy Church over here. He says he he says Christians are love and he loves God, but then he also loves all these other things, including he loves butterflies. I mean, you you just start sending the wrong signal. So what I really want you to do is I want you to focus on the word love, the things that you truly, 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 truly love. Make sure that you're rising to the occasion. And the things that are just things that you like, that you enjoy, that you can see yourself being around, stop using the word love because you're lowering this very sacred word to everyday society speak. And that's not what we're called to do. One person who loves Jesus Christ is Rick Walters. Rick is the new chapter president of the Minneapolis-St. Paul chapter of C-Suite for Christ. He's going to be talking a little bit about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. He's got a very powerful take on this. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Well, welcome back, everybody. Before we uh, get Rick Walters in on this very important conversation, I just want to invite you to do just that, to be a part of the conversation that we've started here at C-Suite for Christ. You may have noticed this already, but we are all over the various social media platforms. And part of the reason that is, is as it says in the New Testament, it's not the healthy that need the doctor, but rather the sick. And there's a lot of sickness on social media, just whatever you want to call it, political correctness, cancel culture, discrimination against Christians. We want to be the light in an otherwise dark area, and we want to bring Christ 
to otherwise sick people or institutions. Not that they're not bad necessarily. They just don't know Christ. And with your help, these individuals and organizations will get to know our Heavenly Father better. So follow us on Facebook, like us on LinkedIn, subscribe to our channel. It's free after all on the YouTube station. And together we're going to be able to cover the world in Christ. So again, look us up on all the social media platforms. We think you're going to like that content. Speaking of content and to like, boy, we are in for a treat here today because our guest, as I've been saying throughout the show, is Rick Walters. Rick is the president of the C-Suite for Christ Minneapolis-St. Paul chapter, one of the newest chapters to the C-Suite for Christ family. And we are blessed beyond measure to have him associated with our organization. Brother Rick, how the heck are you, sir? Hey, Paul, I'm doing great. And thanks so much for having me on your show here. I love your podcast. Love that I'm uh, able to be part of this podcast and love everything that we do uh, at C-Suite for Christ. Well, the feeling is certainly mutual, my friend. And again, you have been not only an outstanding advocate for the C-Suite for Christ organization, but I would say more importantly for Christianity. So it is a blessing to have you on the show, and we're looking forward to this important conversation. 15 minutes is going to go faster, dude. So what do, what do you say we get after it? As you know, no, let's get at it. absolutely. So as you know, we are unpacking a very powerful verse, you know, think weddings, think uh, Hallmark cards or whatever the case may be. But uh, today's verse is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Well, from two brothers in Christ who love this organization, who love our Heavenly Father, Rick, what does 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 mean to you? I mean, to me personally, Paul, it's really a guide to how I live my life. It's how I, you know, it describes how I'm to love like Jesus loved, how to focus on others, how to love through my actions and humble service, how to love fully, unconditionally, and all at the same time, keeping the focus off of me and keeping the focus on God and others. Yeah, very well said. And it is you uh, undoubtedly know, because you are wise to the way of the world, you've been around the block once or twice. One of the things that I find fascinating is how you have different definitions of love depending on different sources that you look at. We'll call this the scriptural definition of love, which, speaking only for myself, is wonderful. It's hard not to read that and just be calm, be it at peace to some degree. But but this definition of love, the scriptural definition, is vastly different than the world's definition of love, Rick. And how would right. you say specifically the scriptural definition differs from the world's definition of love? Well, I, I think, you know, first off, the word love or the term love gets thrown around pretty loosely in society, right? It, it can be anything ranging from an emotion to, oh my gosh, I love pizza or I love Disney World. Um, and, and while all of those are kind of emotional love feelings, they're not necessarily incorrect. What I love about Corinth 
Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, is that love describes something that we do. So love to me is an action. It's not just an emotion. It's not a feeling. Um, it is an action and it's a call to action on how we are to live our lives. So that's what I, that's what I enjoy so much about. And that's what I connect so much with first Corinthians 13, four through seven. When you brought up a good point there, I mean, you're right. The word love does get thrown around a lot. I love pizza. I love Disney world. I think those were your two examples. Uh, although my football team is not as good as yours this year, I, I, I could certainly say I love the green Bay Packers. So, so let me just ask you this one. Do you think the word love gets tossed around too much in society today? And if the answer is yes, how should we be more mindful of that? I mean, should we use a different word? Should we stop saying it altogether? What, what are your thoughts on that, Rick? I mean, I, I, I do feel like it gets thrown around quite a bit and used in, in contexts that maybe it's not necessarily meant for, uh, according to scriptures. Um, so we can certainly enjoy things and we can choose some different words like enjoying things um, as opposed to love. And we could reserve the word love for really what God intends it to be. And that's that's uh, how it describes in in first Corinthians 13, four to seven. Yeah. And I think, it's, yeah, to your point, is it is it the worst thing in the world if we and Christians say I love tacos and it doesn't meet the heavenly definition? No. And I would say if that's probably the worst thing we do as Christians, we're probably doing a lot of things right. But yeah, if we ascribe to the scriptural definition of love, we should probably be more mindful of how we use that moving forward. Now, one of the things right. I was very excited, Rick, when uh, I knew that you were going to be on the podcast. I love talking to you. You're doing some truly amazing things for the C-Suite for Christ organization. But for a brief period of time, I got a little dejected when I understood that we were going to be having this conversation, because when I think of all the people in my life whom I love, be it my kids, be it my wife, be it my parents, be it Aaron Rodgers, for crying out loud, <laughs> you know, when, when I think of all those people whom I love, and then I compare it to the scriptural definition of love, man, I'm not sure I can say that I am living up to this standard with anyone in my life, which, which to me was kind of disappointing. So turn it over to you. I mean, do you feel that the scriptural version of love is impossible to obtain? And if so, why is that bar set so incredibly high for us? I mean, I I think it's nearly, let me say it's nearly impossible. I think um, simply because the words always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Those are really tough measures to live up to. But I do think that with a lot of effort and a focus, um, and if we keep God first in our lives, that we can certainly march toward that goal. And, um, you know, if we continue to, to nourish our souls, uh, be in the scripture every day, we can certainly try to or aspire to love like Jesus. I mean, it's set high because Jesus is the only person who would love, who could love perfectly, right? I mean, none of us can measure up to that. None of us will ever measure up to that. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be trying every day with every relationship we have. Well, I think that was a good point, what you just said there. And I'm still going to come back to it. And if it's just you reiterating that point again, that's fine. But, but, but I guess my question is, if love like that is so impossible to obtain, why define it that way? Why set that as an expectation for us? Now, again, just to use... An example, I'm a sales trainer after all. So so, so let's say Rick is the new vice president of sales for PMN Enterprises. Let's just say last year we did a million dollars in revenue. 
I think we'll be lucky to hit two million. And I say, Rick, your goal is to do fifty million dollars in revenue. Like I'm setting the bar so crazy high. I know it's impossible. I know you're never going to live up to it. Well, then why set that as the standard? I guess the same is true with love. I mean, aren't we just setting people up for failure if they can't realize that scriptural definition? Or no, no, I like I don't think so because I think that keeps our compass pointed in the right direction. It keeps us focused on the right things. And if we only get 50% of that right, or if we only get it right 50% of the time, imagine what an amazing world we would live in if people could learn to love like Jesus and be patient and be kind and not be self-seeking, but serve others. Just imagine what amazing world it would be. That would be a spectacular world, to say the least. And again, since we've already brought up the Packers several times in this podcast, <laughs> uh, why stop there? I think Vince Lombardi once said, you know, we're going to chase perfection, knowing that the attainment of perfection is impossible, but along the way, we're going to catch excellence. Is, is that kind of a fair paraphrase to what you're saying, Rick? Right on. That's well put, Paul. And notice, notice I'm quoting Packer greats, not Viking greats. One, there are no Viking greats. And number two, the Packers are just a better team. Anyway, <laughs> so anyway, but 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 yeah, so so Rick, one of the things knowing you don't know the answer to this necessarily, or 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 you're not perfect in uh, by every stretch of the imagination, but because you're you're just a very wise person because this verse means a lot to you. You know, when you look at your own life, Rick, how specifically are you working to model 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 7 to those people that are in your life? Are, are you finding something that works and if so, what does that look like? I mean, I would say for me it's it really is a lot of prayer. Um just constant prayer asking for guidance and discernment. Uh, asking for forgiveness when I catch myself and don't get it right. Um, I'm just in the Bible every day for nourishment and uh, for constant reminders to keep my focus on Christ and to continue to focus on serving others. Well, and uh, and I think one of the things you, you had brought up, Disney World, the, the fact that you were uh, kind of the driving force behind taking your entire family to Disney World for a period of time, that is certainly a way to, uh, to love on your family, certainly uh, a wonderful way to let them know how much you appreciate them. And yeah, I, th I think for sure you're, you're definitely making this a priority. One of the things that, you know, we, we always love a good story on C uh, on the C-Suite for Christ podcast. And, you know, I, I, I just can't help but think there's, there's probably been an individual or two over the course of your life that is really led by example, that, that has really been a living embodiment of first Corinthians chapter 13 verses four through seven. So with as much detail as you want to provide, I mean, can you give us an example of when someone in your life loved you according to the scriptural definition of the term love? And assuming you have a story, how has that impacted your life ever since? Yeah, that's a, I love that question. So it's an easy one. The easiest example for me is my wife, Sheree. So my wife of 39 years, um, and she's just an amazing person. She's an amazing wife, an amazing human being. And, um, you know, throughout our lives and probably most early earlier in our marriage, I really had focused on a lot of things uh, that the world told me was important. Money, title, possessions, big house. Those, those are the things that I was chasing. And when I would fall short of meeting those expectations that the world told me was important, I would become irritable, impatient selfish, prideful, blaming other people. Um, I, I just generally wasn't a nice person to be around. 
And uh, and how does Sheree meet that? Sheree meets that irritability with patience, kindness, service to me, meaning how can I help you? Uh, it just comes easy to her, or at least I. it seems to me it comes easy to her. In reality, that's I'm sure the Holy Spirit is working in her heart. Um, but the way it impacts me is it calms me, it reassures me, it grounds me, it centers me. Um, she's, she's just so good at it, Paul. And she, she really doesn't even have to try her. I don't think she even realizes it sometimes, but, uh, but that's an easy, there, there have been hundreds of examples in my life, but she's the easiest one to draw reference to. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that story. And it, lo it looks like you stuck with the tradition of many, many, many men that came before you when you married <laughs> way up. So yeah, certainly yeah. I'll kick my coverage as they say. Yes, <laughs> certainly good to hear that. Yeah, it it it, it went, when it comes to yeah, and, and, and that is something powerful and special about having a spouse that you know God created just for you. And and although my wife Tanya doesn't do this every single time, and might much like your example, I have no doubt that this is a difficult thing for her to do. She models love way better than I do in our household. And, and one of the ways that she does it, again, she doesn't do it every time, but when she does, it is so powerful. Like you, I have a bad day at the office. Maybe we don't uh, close some of the, the deals that we were hoping for. My expectation for my day was just too unrealistically high. I come up, I'm angry, I'm irritable too. And sometimes I take it out on her. I'm not, I'm not proud to say that. But sometimes yeah. it does happen when she models love. What she'll do is she'll just walk over to me and hug me and hold me for a little bit. And I, I, I don't mind telling you, I melt like a popsicle on a 110 degree <laughs> July day because it, it's just that that's what I needed. Despite my irritability and anger, she's showing love. And I quickly realize just, I guess, how poor my behavior is so wonderful to hear that your wife does that, and I've been blessed by that as well. Rick, right. you're a guy people can learn a lot from. I know you're a humble, modest guy, but I'm going to say it for you you're somebody, you're achieving wonderful things in this world, both personally and professionally. So, I'd love for you to give some guidance specifically to our audience. So, let, let's assume one of our listeners says, You know what? I'm going to start doing a better job of meeting the scriptural definition of love, and I'm going to start doing that today what would you say are two or three things that person could do right away to become more proficient in this capacity? Yeah. I, and these are the things that I turn to Paul. So these would be the two or three things I would, I would uh, mention to our listeners is, you know, start by turning the focus from yourself to God. So meaning put God first in everything that you do. Um, when I do that, it seems like the rest of it just kind of falls in place nicely. Meaning when I do that, it's easier for me to be patient. It's easier for me to be kind and humble and unselfish when I know that God is in control and when I submit to that. So that's number one. Uh, secondly, I would say turn to prayer, talk to God and do it often. Uh, let the present of, presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart guide your thoughts, actions, and words. Uh, and then lastly, I would just say, be in the Bible every single day make it a discipline in your life. We, we have many disciplines in our life. Uh, some people like to work out. Some people like to meditate. Some people like to do a variety of things. But make being in the Bible and being in the scriptures a discipline in your life every single way. Because the peace that transcends all understanding is a real thing. It is a real thing. And, and if you haven't experienced that yet, then, then you're in for a treat uh, when you finally do. Um, cause I feel a tremendous amount of peace, love, and joy in my heart when I am in the word. 
and then when you can share it with others, like in a group Bible study, then all the better because iron sharpens iron. And, and that's part of what we do uh, at C-Suite for Christ. Yeah, very good advice. And it was recently I was talking to one of my pastor friends and the weather is starting to go south and we both like football and I forget what game it was. I know Buffalo, New York got a ton of snow and uh, there were some yeah. pictures of these people just sitting in the bleachers, just covered in snow and looking absolutely <laughs> miserable. And he said to me, Paul, could you imagine if everyday Christians had that much passion and drive and discipline to go to church every Sunday? And, and I think that that's very powerful. I mean, people will sit in the middle of a snowstorm for four hours to watch their favorite football game. But for some people, they have a hard enough time going to church a couple of times a month. So I, I agree with you. Having the discipline to be in the word, having the discipline to say your prayers, the discipline to surround yourself with other Christians, I think that is very important. And speaking of important, Rick, I, I would I would be remiss if I didn't at least bring this up. Again, you know my feelings for you. We've had the uh, the absolute pleasure of getting to know each other pretty well over the course of the last couple of months. But you are one of the newest chapter presidents of C-Suite for Christ. We just recently planted a chapter in Minneapolis, St. Paul, under your leadership, under your guidance. This chapter is going to do truly amazing things. Of that, I have zero doubt. Can you just kind of walk us through why was this a priority for you, and why did you really want to be a part of this covering the world in Christ movement that we have going on? Yeah, I well, I mean, first, I, I recognize the transformation that occurred in me and in my life, and um, was significant, and I wanted to help influence. And you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but in the secular society that we all live in, we're told that business and religion cannot and do not mix. Uh, and that flies squarely in the face of what I believe and what I hold true to my heart. I think I think Jesus needs to be in everybody's life. In fact, I know Jesus needs to be in everybody's life. Maybe they don't realize it yet. They maybe haven't been touched uh, in their heart yet. But 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 Jesus is definitely needs to be present in everybody's uh, heart. And and what I want to do with this chapter is the same reason I joined C Suite for Christ, and that's. Because I believe I have a personal responsibility uh, and accountability to Christ to be an active part of the Great Commission. And and yeah, I decided to become a licensee for C-Suite for Christ for the same reason. I want to grow and share fellowship with other Christian executives. And those folks are generally influential uh, to other people around them. So I want to grow our chapter and be actively engaged in serving our communities and businesses to bring others to Christ. It's really as simple as that. Yeah, yeah, we love that. And and the Twin Cities are in for a, a very pleasant surprise. God is on the move, not only in the Twin Cities, but also throughout the great state of Minnesota, thanks in no small part to your wonderful efforts. If we've got a listener or two in Minnesota, and based on the popularity of this program, that's a very safe bet. If they wanted to become an official member of your organization, or if they had some questions and they wanted to get in touch with you, where should they go? What should they do? Yeah, you can hit us up on our website with the Minneapolis St. Paul C Suite for Christ chapter. Um, there's all kinds of resources information. There's application information for memberships. Um, there's links to podcasts, uh, YouTube videos, and and it just talks a lot about what it is that we do in C Suite for Christ, what we focus on, and how they can help be part of it. 
Yeah, and then for those of you, too, in addition to the website, which is probably the best resource, Rick is certainly right about that. We are going to hyperlink Rick's name to his LinkedIn profile page in the description of this podcast as well. So feel free to connect with him. Whether or not you're in the great state of Minnesota, he produces very solid Christian content on a regular basis. So make sure to look that up. Rick, I I saved the most important question for last. Are the Vikings going to the Super Bowl this year? Paul, come on. I've been a Vikings fan for 60 years, and I got to believe that there's a chance that the Vikings could go to the Super Bowl every year, but there's also a chance that they, the team will let us down again this year. So if if you watch this last Sunday's game uh, in the blowout that occurred with Dallas, um, it's just, you know, being a Vikings fan, you just you kind of hold your expectations to yourself a little close to your chest sometimes because while you want – while you certainly want something like that to happen, uh, there's there's a lot of barriers that get in the way. Well, that is certainly true. And yeah, I am I am trying desperately to get a read on this year's Minnesota Vikings, for, primarily for two reasons. One, I love football. But number two, my oldest son, Kennedy, as you know, Rick, is a diehard right. Vikings fan. So right. I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what this year is going to look like. I mean, you're right. The Vikings beat the Buffalo Bills in one of the most exciting games ever. And then they get blown out 40 to three by the Dallas right. Cowboys. So I, I, yeah, I am frantically searching for truth in this regard at, at I, home, I, Paul, at home, at home. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I guess my biggest fear is a father because my, my middle son Hudson loves the chiefs. Ugh, if this is a Vikings Chiefs Super Bowl, I, I'm going to have to go out of the country for a couple of days. It's going to be hard with my kids going at it like that. <laughs> well, we can only hope and uh, wish that something along those lines could happen and and not because I want that that uh, level of uh, excitement in your household to make you uncomfortable, Paul, but just because, you know, as a lifelong Vikings fan, it would just be fun to see that again sometime. Well, I'm rooting for you, pal, because I don't think there's much hope left for my Packers, but I guess we'll <laughs> wait and see. Uh, guys, you've been listening to Rick Walters. In addition to being a member of C-Suite for Christ, he's also the chapter president of the Minneapolis St. Paul chapter of C-Suite for Christ, a world-class person. I would strongly encourage everyone and anyone to connect with him. It would be a blessing. You will soon find that out. Rick, it was wonderful to have you on the program. We appreciate the uh, enlightening words of wisdom from you today. Thank you so much, Paul. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the program. Absolutely. Don't go anywhere, gang. We'll be right back with some closing words. Well, as we get ready to say goodbye here on another edition of the C-Suite for Christ podcast, I just got to say thank you to my brother in Christ, Rick Walters, the new president of the Minneapolis-St. Paul chapter of C-Suite for Christ. What a blessing he is to this organization. I mean, not only as a member, and we got a lot of benefit out of Rick just as a member, but now he is ensuring that God is on the move. He is ensuring that we're covering the world in Christ by planting a flag in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and his organization is already off to a rip-roaring start. So if you're listening to us today from the Twin Cities, from the state of Minnesota, I would strongly encourage you to do two things. One, please do not keep this new chapter a secret. Tell other people about it. Post about it on social media. Send an email to the Christian business executives in your network and say, hey, did you hear Rick Walters just planted a chapter in this area? Do not keep it a secret. It's going to be hard to shine a light in the darkness. It's going to be hard to follow the Great Commission if you're not actively proclaiming it. But also now you in the state of Minnesota, you in the Twin Cities have a place to go 
where you can fellowship with other Christian business executives, where you can pray for other Christian business executives, and where you can be witness to and by other Christian business executives, reach out to me, reach out to Rick, and get involved in this world-class chapter. 60 seconds or less to close this. What do we talk about today? We talked about love. And this is one of the things that makes some guys, some gals a little squeamish, but it's very, very important. First of all, I just want you to be mindful of what the word love means. Don't go to the world for these types of definitions. Don't go to secular society for these types of definitions because going to secular society for anything is going to get us in a whole heap of trouble. Instead, go to scripture and just like they do for just about every single topic in the history of the world, there is an objective definition for love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Know the definition of love. That is the definition of love. The second thing is be careful how you use the word love because love is a sacred word. Love is a holy word. And you hear this a lot from Jesus. That's pretty much the greatest commandment. Love your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. And you need to make sure that you're doing that on a regular basis. So one, know the definition of love. Number two, make sure that when you use the word love, you truly mean it. Three, although 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 is nearly impossible to obtain, we need to raise our game. If you say you love your spouse, show it. If you say you love your kids, show it, and show it by following this scriptural definition. And then lastly, you got to stop using love on stupid little stuff. And, and I'm, I, I blame myself on this. I say I love the Packers. No, that, that, that is not spiritual love. I say that I love peanut butter. No, that is not spiritual love. Use other words, because if you dilute, dilute the word love, if you use the word love to loosey-goosey, and yet we're supposed to be a faith that preaches love, you send the wrong signals and you make love less powerful. So we need to be mindful of that. And one other thing that needs to happen is if you're a Wisconsin CEO, you need to ask yourself this very important question. Who do you have on your team? Who do you need on your team? Culture Index has the business solution to drive revenue, profitability, and company scale by concentrating on your most expensive and subjective asset, your people. Learn more about this world-class organization at cultureindex.com, and please tell them that C-Suite for Christ sent you. Speaking of sent, we need to go into the world to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if you like this podcast today, would you please send other people a message? Send them an email. Send this out into social media by posting about it. We would really appreciate your support. If you want to learn more about our ministry, become a member. Join the conversation on social media. Heck, buy your tickets for the Covering the World in Christ annual celebration on February 9th. Whatever you do, do something at our website, csuiteforchrist.com. I'm Paul M. Newberger, the founder of C-Suite for Christ. Thank you so much for joining us here today, and we'll see you next time.
Thank you for joining us on the C-Suite for Christ podcast. People everywhere are thirsting for Christ. Our goal is to cover the world in Christ using hope, encouragement, and God's nourishing words. We hope you'll join us. Please visit csuiteforchrist.com and come back soon for more conversations centered around God's endless love for us all. I saw you in my dreams before I came here. I will.